Our beer of the week this week is Jacko. It's the Sam Adams Pumpkin Ale. thought we should get a pumpkin kind of beer since we're approaching Halloween. Mix it up a little bit, and uh, it's a pretty good one. My name's Steven. I'm your host with Perfect Takes, joined by my co-host, Jacob. We have another guest for the second consecutive week. His name is Dylan Jackson. He's worked with the Hornets fan side. He's an affiliate for them, and he has previous experience with Pro Football Focus, uh, which we've actually had a previous intern with last week with Tage Seth. So kind of small world there. Uh, is there anything else you kind of want us to know about you, Dylan, as we uh, before we jump into the podcast? Yeah, you know, uh, every every Saturday, Sunday, um, I'm on the sofa watching football. That's kind of all you need to know, I guess, right? That's all you need. Oh, yeah. We're, we're big couch potatoes, especially Sunday afternoon. And... One thing that wasn't really all that great uh, was probably the second quarter on in that Panthers game. Jumping out the 14-0 was really special. I almost thought for a brief stint that we had a chance on Sunday. Yeah, they, we had the nice uh, new blue uniforms, the process blues, and we got that 14-0 lead. I think we held them to three and outs the first couple of drives. And you're right, I, there, there's in the, back of my, in the back of my mind, I was like, man, we can get this done. And then it obviously all fell apart. They score, I believe, 35 unanswered points before we got a pick six on their backup QB. And then they scored again and uh, just didn't end well. But it was it was a promising start. I'll say that. Yeah, I think at this point in the season, I think my main takeaway is just going to be how well does Bryce Young play, right? Being 0-6 at this point in the year, I don't really think that anything else matters you know, you can, you can kind of point to coaching. You can have some, you know, takeaways about the defense. But at the end of the day, all that's really going to be remembered from this is how well does Bryce Young play? And I think it was his best game so far this year. You know, the I believe the first drive was like a three and out. But after that, like the next two drives, right, it was, it was nice, long, methodical drives down the field. Chuba looked really good. Bryce had this one throw to Adam Thielen on that first drive where Adam Thielen was kind of like crossing over the field. He stepped up into pressure, hit a really nice throw to Thielen in stride for a nice like 20-something yard gain. And then later he hit Thielen on like a 14-yard touchdown, something like that. And that was also a really nice throw. But in general, I think that it was by far his best start of the season, uh, at least so far. And I think that it, it, it's going to be really promising to build on, even though this team did lose by 21 points. That's kind of like what I'm really looking for um, each and every game from from now till the end of the season, really. Yeah, I think he I think he's improved steadily throughout the year. But like you said, this was definitely his best start. The throw over the middle to Thielen, like you were talking about, he threw the ball when Thielen was behind the linebacker that was covering that middle zone. And it still got to him and he got that big gain. That's the anticipation that I thought we would see a bit more, like a bit more early and often, but glad it's uh, clicking now. And the touchdown to Thielen was, that was a beauty. It, like right, I believe it tipped uh, the defender's hands just barely, but right over him to where he couldn't disrupt it and hit Thielen. And it's, it's good that those two have a good rapport. I know a lot of people, myself included, kind of question the, the payment for Thielen. But uh, he, he's performed pretty well early this year, and hopefully he can get 1,000 yards and help get that rapport with Bryce and help him grow throughout the rest of the year. 
I agree with a lot of the points you guys just made. Bryce, I think the whole reason why we drafted him out, 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 out of Alabama is because he has that ability to just make plays and have that anticipation. And that's what he showed on Sunday. And I think a lot of that goes back to kind of what the coaching staff alluded to last week before the game is that they were taking more off Bryce's plate so he could just play football. Similarly, what we've seen C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson do so far up into this point. So it was nice to just see those glimpses from him and what he can become kind of in this offense and with this team. But it goes back to the coaching point is that we we bring in supposedly an all-star coaching staff and they don't have the training wheels on our first overall pick. That that to me, it just it blows my mind. To me, it's not it, it's poor management uh, top to bottom. We've harped on the coaching staff, particularly the offensive side, like every week we've done this pod. But uh, I think we kind of need to shed a little more light on the defensive side of the ball. I know they're hampered by a lot of injuries, but the defense has been gashed all year pretty consistently, especially in the run game. I mean, Raheem Moster, who we'll talk about later in the best performances segment, he tore us up. Uh, their back, uh, it was... Uh, Savan Ahmed, he tore us up too. I'm sure if Devon HM played, he would have had another nuclear game. Uh, just, the defense is just a bit disappointing, I think, especially with Evero coming over and the pedigree he had. Talked about that last week with Tage, where they had one of the better schemes last year, and it's just not coming together this year. And I would say a lot of it is on the personnel, but some of it has to be on the scheme. Yeah, defensively, I I mean, there's there's really just the personnel hasn't hasn't quite been there with J.C. Horn being out with Shaq Thompson being out. I think a lot of the players that have been playing have been extremely underwhelming, um, especially if you look at it from like a long term lens. If you look at these corners, Dante Jackson, C.J. Henderson, Mm -hmm. they've been extremely underwhelming, not only this year, but throughout their entire careers. Derek Brown, um, I know I know it's like not all on him. I think he played, I, I guess, like a decent game. But, you know, when you draft uh, a, a defensive tackle like him within the top 10, you would hope that, that the run defense, especially inside, is at least a little bit better. And I know it's not all on him because the, the complementary inside defensive linemen have been horrendous this year. For Carolina, they've had like just some like Madden creative players out there right next to him, you know. Um, it's it's really just uh it, it's been quite disappointing and i i do feel for the defense in in some regard because a lot of what they've done this year they've been put in pretty bad positions i thought they had a pretty good start to the year against atlanta against new orleans and a lot of it um you know you go back to like the minnesota game like they they the offense you know had a turnover that ended up being six points right so I think that, you know, considering like the injuries, considering the the past two teams that they've played against, it's been like not as horrendous, but it's still not where you want to be giving up 40 plus points in the last two weeks. Yeah, it's super disappointing. Uh, And like you said, I think Derek Brown, outside of maybe the last two games, has been outstanding this year. But he's had to do everything on that interior defensive line. It's mainly just him and Burns up front. And then, like you said, C.J. Henderson and 26 in the back. Now, I'll say this. C.J. Henderson, I think, has played better this season than he did last season. But still not a top 10 pick talent or top 10 performance i'd say and then like jc not being on the field is super disappointing too but uh yeah dante with this game uh i don't want to talk too much about him he just did not have his best game this past game 
Well, I mean, I think you're, you're, I, I don't want to harp on Dylan's point too much here, but there's, there's an element of, there's only so much you can do with what's in the cupboard. And we talked about it going into the season, the defensive line, especially the interior of it was very thin. I mean, we're, we're talking about outside of Derek Brown, you have shy Tuttle and Deshaun Williams and Derek Brown, like we we're talking about can only do so much Xavier Woods and Von Bell. And uh, we've had obviously horn out. And so you have most of your secondary banged up. You get a core leader in Shaq Thompson who helps with setting guys and, and calling out some of those plays. And when you lose all of that, it, it starts deteriorating what you can do on the defensive side. And this is a defense that held Kirk Cousins to what, under 200 passing yards? And it mm-hmm. forced two, three and outs to start this game. So it's not like they aren't pitching in and trying to do their part. There's just only so much you can do when you have this much talent on that back end. And Dante Jackson and CJ Henderson are, are not starters in this NFL today. They're, they're backups at best. I agree. Uh, on a positive note, I think our player of the game, at least for me, was Bryce. He had a mistake-free game through with anticipation, was able to make across the middle of the field throws, just everything we wanted to see. And uh, like like we've been talking about, he has that connection with Thielen. Hopefully with uh, the new play color change and stuff like that after the bye, which we'll talk about a bit later, he'll be able to uh, – it'll open up more and he'll be able to connect with other receivers. But I thought he had probably the best game of his career. And uh, I think this is a good time for us to have a bye week. Uh, 0-6 is – it's just bad, kind of unacceptable with uh, the coaching staff and the moves that were made – made in the offseason with the front office Scott Fitterer in particular saying this is the time we can make a run at the NFC South where we've built the defense we've built the offensive line we can just drop a QB in and go that just hasn't been the case so far but uh moving forward after the bye week hopefully we can gain some traction and newsflash everybody else in the NFC South is three and three right now like and we don't have a win to our name like what like this is like they set standards coming into the season. Like this wasn't something like the media was blowing up. This is something like you said was coming from Fitterer, was coming from Reich. We feel like we can be a contender in the NFC South, which they might have believed at the time, but clearly it's not adding up with the talent on the field. So, uh, tweet. So I just I just kind of want to make a point here, just on on Scott Fitterer, and I I know that we can attribute a lot of the the personnel moves to to Matt Rule as well from from 2021 but when you look at all the draft picks that this regime that this regime has made um they had like 11 so or so picks in 2021 they had like six picks last year they had five picks this year um if you look outside of bryce young which i don't know if you can totally credit scott fitterer for that pick yet um you know what above average player has he drafted with any of those picks like jc horn maybe sure but at the end of the day he hasn't even played like a full season yet um exactly he had a a pretty great rookie year last year but how has he looked this year like not good right so if you you look at all of these different draft picks like terrace marshall in the second round brady christensen in the third tommy tremble in the third um there's like no day three guys whatsoever in any of these three draft classes that you can consider, uh, honestly, even rotational at this point. So, I mean, I mean, maybe like Caden Mays, but we've seen how he's performed too. So like what, what draft pick does he have to kind of hang his hat on um, that, that he can say that he hit on outside of the first overall pick who we're not even sure is going to be that guy quite yet. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, we'll talk more about Fitterer and 
kind of his shortcomings later, but you're making a great point. The best pick during his tenure was allegedly made by Matt Rule's wife and Chuba Hubbard. Um, I mean, J.C. Horn and Icky and Bryce, first-rounders, so we'll say I'll say, like, they're kind of there. You kind of have to take those caliber guys, so I don't want to credit him with a ton of success there. And even then, like you said, J.C. Horn hasn't played a full season. Icky, great run blocker last year, kind of okay pass blocker, has regressed on both fronts this year, especially in this Dolphins I mean, game. So here, here's the thing with, like, the J.C. Horn pick, too, is, I mean, look at, like, the five picks after him, right? Like, Sertan. Mm-hmm. Devontae Smith, Michael Parsons, Rashawn Slater. Those are all Pro Bowl guys, right? And they actually play. <laughs> so yeah, And would fill positions of need on our roster. Like, that's that's the crazy part is, like, it, and you go back to the Herney days prior to Fitterer taking over. At least he hit in the first round. Like, we're talking Brian Burns. We're talking Derek Brown. Like, yeah, he couldn't draft uh, – for a lick of anything in the day two, day three picks, but he could at least hit in the first round and we aren't getting production there. Yeah. Neither can Scott Federer apparently can't hit in those uh, days either, which it kind of begs the question. Like uh, if we, and I don't want to keep saying, we'll talk about this later, but like trade <laughs> trading draft picks. I know a lot of fans aren't super big fans of that. I'm not either just by the idea that you should always have more darts to throw at the board. But if he's the one throwing the darts, uh, it might make sense to trade picks for, more proven players, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's uh, let's broaden our focus to around the NFL. I'd like to pick one or two games uh, per each person to talk about uh, this like this past week. And I know Dylan, you had a, a game between two teams wearing green. It looks like. Yeah, the uh, the Eagles and the Jets. The Jets got the win twenty to fourteen against the Eagles, who blew a fourteen to three lead. And I, I thought it was an interesting game because it kind of summed up a lot of my thoughts about both of these teams, and it, it kind of exemplified both of them. First of all, the, the Eagles quite simply haven't looked as impressive as they have in previous years. Um, they're 5-1. and one. This is their first loss of the year, but they really haven't like blown teams out of the water, and they haven't played like an overly impressive schedule yet either. And um, they, they've kind of won by by winning in a bunch of different ways with their running game in some games, with their passing game in others. Uh, and their defense has won them games as well. I think that that team is quite honestly too talented to fail. Like there's there's no way that that team is not going to be like a top three seed in, in the NFC unless the, the Cowboys overtake them in the division. But they really like haven't looked as their five and one record says uh maybe it's maybe it's brian johnson their play caller um maybe maybe it's kind of hurts getting used to him a little bit more um but they they haven't looked like that five and one record and it's going to be really worrisome coming up here their next like six games all are like going to be very very tough right they play at home against miami this week right we know the juggernaut that miami has become after that, they're going to play at Washington, who took them to overtime in Philadelphia a few weeks ago. Then they're going to play Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas again, and then they have to travel to Seattle after all of that. That is one of the toughest stretches I think I've ever seen <laughs> the, the schedule makers give one particular team, right? Like that is just like juggernaut after juggernaut. And... Um, I think you could you could see the Eagles maybe like after that stretch be be like 
seven and five or, or, or something of that nature. So um, they're going to be a team to watch. And I think the Jets have kind of gone a little bit under the radar this year just because of how good their defense has been. They didn't have Sauce Gardner. Um, they didn't have their other starting corner. His his name is leading my mind at the moment. But is it me, DJ I, Reed? I, DJ Reed, I think I think that's yeah. right. He's he's really good too, by the way. He's he's a phenomenal second corner. Um, I think you know if if the Jets can can kind of find a way to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers, most notably Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. If they can, if they can, if those two can get like a combined like 25, 30 touches a game, I, I think that's really going to be key to whether they have any offensive success. Um, I, I think Zach Wilson has looked improved upon last year. With that said, he's still like probably the the 28th or 29th best starting quarterback in the NFL, right? Like he's not quite that guy, but if he can do like just enough, right? Just enough to get the ball in the hands of those guys um if they're going to be like a, a run first team and i know they just lost their their starting guard and elijah vera tucker as well but if they can get the ball to those guys offensively if they can continue to um shut these teams down on defense hold the chiefs to like 23 points right hold the eagles to 14 points i think that it's going to become a theme where if they're not winning these games, then they're at least keeping their offense in the games. Uh, and they're going to walk away at the end of the year slightly above or at 500, I would think. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. This was the uh, – sorry, Steve. I'm going to get in real quick on this one. This was the first time the Jets have ever beaten the Eagles in a regular season or postseason game. And in large part, it was due to their defense, which – kind of smothered the Eagles, forced, what was it? I think it was three turnovers from Jalen Hurts. Um, yeah, it was three, yeah. And like you're saying, Zach Wilson, this is exactly what I said on the pod last week with uh, Tage. It was that he just needs to be like the 25th through 29th best QB and not be the worst QB in the league. Be a bad QB that can manage the game and get the ball to the playmakers that's exactly what he's been doing and looking at that schedule it kind of reminds me of a discussion we had last year steve with the eagles i know both of us picked them to go pretty far you picked them to the super bowl and got that one right and a big part of that was they had an easy schedule last year and so far this year they've had an easy schedule and now that they're hitting the uh, the buzzsaw that's coming up that Dylan just read off, I wonder if it's going to be a bit different, especially with the new coordinators in Johnson and uh, Desai on the defensive side of the ball. So I, th I think these are great points that are getting brought up. I want to give a lot of credit right now because what the Jets have done to start this season, especially with Aaron Rodgers being hurt and having to lean back on Zach Wilson, is they're able to get after the quarterback. And they have built their defensive line to where they can get after you, attack you, stop the run, uh, make life absolute hell for the quarterback. And when Lane Johnson went down on Sunday, that Eagles offense seemed to collapse from there. Uh, they didn't know what to do. Jalen Hurts, he's not necessarily the fastest processor, and when he needs time to kind of be able to break down what the defense is giving him, he's not going to get that with an injured right tackle. Now, when I'm looking at the schedule, Miami, Washington, those two games, I think that they can kind of figure out with Lane Johnson kind of recovering, hey, how can we give a little bit extra protection to the right side, open things up in the passing game? We just saw Bryce Young dismantle this Miami Dolphins defense that has been tortured throughout this entire 
entire year. It started with the Chargers week one, and it's it's led up to what we've seen now. And so with some of that stuff, they might be able to win a couple of those games. I think Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, uh, San Francisco, depending on the health of their team, that four-game stretch, if you come at that 0-4, you're definitely looking at probably a wild-card spot because I think Dallas would overtake kind of the division lead and probably win the division from there on out. Yeah, and then they have Dallas again. So it's like a it's a five game stretch there, which is just rough. You mentioned that that Jets pass rush, and I, I do agree with you with how they've built it and just the volume of like pass rushers and different types of guys that they can throw at you, whether it's like Jonathan Franklin Myers, who looks really good, Quinton Williams obviously up front. Jermaine second year Johnson. guy. Yep, second year guy, Jermaine Johnson. Stuck. Carl Lawson. And they drafted Will McDonald like top fifteen this year too. So they have so many different guys and different ways that they can attack, you know, your, your pass blockers. So I, I really do think that's a great point to make. And I think that, you know, that type of pass rush combined with a DJ Reed and sauce Gardner secondary, it's hard to beat any sort of defense that has elite corners and elite pass rush. I mean, Absolutely. they took the bills in Kansas city, achieve uh, both of those teams on Sunday night football down to the wire and like that's exciting to see like this is a defense built to stop some of these afc powerhouses that we're seeing and i think that could go a long way that if aaron Rodgers comes back december january off this achilles injury that this could be a legitimate super bowl contender on the uh we talked about the Eagles' schedule on the flip side the jets are on a bye week this week but then they get the giants the chargers the raiders so three kind of manageable games there then they do have bills dolphins two tough division games, but then it's Falcons and Texans. So their seven game stretch kind of on the inverse of the uh, Eagles next seven game stretch way easier. And they're going to be able to gain ground, especially with their defense playing. Well, they're three and three right now, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they could be looking at a above 500 record following that seven or following the bye week in that seven game stretch there. So down the line, this should be a team that's able to compete for uh, a wild card berth there towards the end of the season. Now, another team with a pretty good D line, it doesn't have the embarrassment of riches that the jets have or the Eagles have for that matter. Their D line is disgusting as well, but the Titans, they played the Baltimore Ravens in London this week. I think this was our fourth, third or fourth straight London game week. Uh, and, this was another kind of meh offensive game from the Ravens. I believe they had, what was it? It was 24 points at the end of the game, right? And six of those, uh, I believe they had six field goals that game. Just a kind of a slog. Uh, off, Yeah, 24 points. Kind of a slog for the uh, Ravens this game. They were able to bounce back and uh, get the win, even though like the previous week they were they weren't dominating, but they should have gotten the win there. It was good that they were able to get the win, but they didn't really put the Titans away. They were able to make noise with Derrick Henry towards the end of the first half, but then Tannehill did get injured again, and we had to see, not we had to see, but Malik Willis came in and finished the game for him. So kind of these another two teams going in kind of opposite directions. I think the Ravens are trending up. Granted, they were already a good team. And as long as uh, Lamar can get on the same page as his receivers and with the new coordinator, Todd Munkin, which is something we talked about last week, that should be a team running for the division title. But the Titans are kind of going backwards. This is looking a lot like last year where Tannehill gets hurt early and then the offense is just real bad throughout the rest of the season. Hopefully we're able to see something since they brought in DeAndre Hopkins and drafted Ty J Spears. 
who is uh, just phenomenal to watch. But uh, it's not looking great for the Titans moving forward if they can't get a ton of offensive production. Tajay Spears, it was an interesting fantasy stat, but it was like the first 58 minutes. I don't think he had a single touch or a single reception. And then the reception he does get, he got 48 yards on it, and it was more than any other Titans receiver had in that game. And like that was just like mind blowing that like Tajay Spears, like in a matter of a second, was able to kind of add some juice. And that's something that you want to see in this Titans offense, because right now their offensive line isn't giving their quarterbacks any sort of protection. That's why Ryan Tannehill's out. It's why Malik Willis, when he came in, he took four sacks in the time he was there. And Will Levis had a awful pressure of the sack ratio when he was in Kentucky. So none of those things are boding well for the guys who are going to be taking snaps at quarterback in Tennessee. But like you said, on the Baltimore side, there's a lot to love. And it starts with Todd Monken. That offense is starting to kind of gel a little bit. They're hitting their receivers. The receivers weren't dropping passes like they were against Pittsburgh. So they were able to kind of get some momentum there. There was a point you brought up that they're kicking a lot of field goals. And when you're in the red zone, I think coming into the day, they were the third best red zone team and they kick like five field goals. So it's like one of those things that you need to capitalize in those instances, because if you get stymied against a Kansas City or a Jacksonville who have some decent defensive performances and, and will continue to do so over the course of the year, if you can't do that against them. If you want to win the big game, you want to kind of push for a Super Bowl berth. Those are the kind of things you can't allow in the red zone. You need to put it in for six. Uh, three isn't going to cut it. I I really, really like watching Zay Flowers. I think he's going to be a very good receiver for a long time. And he, he had six catches for 50 yards and a touchdown in this game. Not the most impressive performance. He, his longest catch was for like 14 yards, something like that. Um, from the, the Titans perspective, I, I think they're kind of getting to the point where they're at the bottom of the league in terms of watchability. Um, they're, they're just, they're not very fun. Like <laughs> I, Ty J Spears is, is awesome. He's like you said, like just super electric. Um, I, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is, is what he once was in, in Houston and in Arizona. And there's not really like any other receivers on this Titans team that's like currently playing. I know Traylon Burks is hurt at the moment um, that can really, really salvage like that passing attack. And Ryan Tannehill really, when he has been playing this year, he hasn't looked overly impressive. I know he's been on the decline the past few years but has still been like a solid starting level quarterback but I know I know before this game there were there were still some whispers of if Malik Willis might get some action soon and um with with Ryan Tanhill questionable for this next week um maybe maybe we'll see Willis actually get another start and hopefully look better than he did last year we'll see um but I mean the Ravens are just they're super fun I think the fact that they're you know, winning winning games like this um, when their offense still is is kind of getting set in that Todd Munkin scheme where it's still not quite like 100%, but you can kind of see the vision as to where it's going. I think it's super exciting. 
they're, they're opening the field for a lot of these like shots like you, you saw it against pittsburgh like there was no reason why they didn't have like several like 20 plus yard like receptions and by 20 plus yard receptions i mean 20 plus air yards i mean lamar had a drop touchdown to nelson aguilar zay flowers had a couple bombs dropped um we talked about this on last week's episode but it's like one of those things that like if some of these things that todd monk and scheming up clicks like this offense could be like very explosive come like november december yeah I, I agree with the point you're making about zay flowers uh i know that's one of steve's favorite players he was my favorite receiver coming out of the draft just super fun to watch i think the interesting thing about the titans is that they have malik willis playing as the back should be the starter this week if Tannehill's still injured but the new regime drafted will levis with the 32nd pick I know it was a second rounder technically, but a top 32 pick. So the the thing there is like, what's going to happen there moving forward? I, if Tannehill is not the future, which I believe this is the last year, or maybe next year is the last year of his contract, what's that going to look like? Is it going to be Willis? Is it going to be Levis? I think that's an interesting thing to look at going forward. I, I know I'm I'm not as high on on Will Levis as as some others may be, but I mean it, it was like a high draft pick, and it was a player that they're going to be invested in moving forward. The thing that that I'd be interested in, and I guess they have two wins already, is if they do finish um, with with a low enough record, um, whether they would be in on maybe trading up for for one of these quarterbacks in the draft. I think if they got to a point. Um, and I think the best example of this is what the Cardinals had uh, happened to them is that if you fall in the situation where you have like a top three pick and one of those quarterbacks falls to you, absolutely. Because like the Cardinals, they draft Josh Rosen at 10. That's a complete disaster. They draft Kyler at one the next year. So I think that's definitely something that could happen based on what we see from Malik Willis and uh, Will Levis this year. It's just one of those things like what's going to give on that front. Yeah, it'll be super interesting. I don't know. Like, obviously, the quarterback's the most important piece. So if you're up there, you need to take one. But this, I don't think this roster's in a good spot to put a young quarterback in. And with the high capital invested in Levis, I'm not sure that this new – that's not new. It's like a year-old regime now would be willing to do so. But if they get a top three pick, they should definitely be going for a Drake May or a Caleb Williams. Now, to wrap up the Around the NFL section, there's two games that I kind of want to highlight, and it's more the similarities. Uh, they were revenge games in a sense. Uh, the Sunday night game, you had Buffalo versus the Giants, and there was some beef afterwards between Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, but when Sean McDermott went to Buffalo, Brian Dable became his offensive coordinator, and Ken Dorsey was the quarterback's coach. So there was a lot of familiarity uh, with the offense and defensive minds going up against each other in practice, and then the quarterback's coach kind of being in Brian Dable's ear and kind of knowing tendencies. And the game finished 14-9. The Giants had two pretty much goal line stands that got uh, shut down and would have won the game in essence. So it's it's very interesting to see that like there was uh, a lot of offensive minds that kind of fell short Sunday night and that transpired again on Monday night with Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy. I mean, we were expecting a lot of fireworks last night and for a 20 to 17 finish with a lot of missed opportunities I felt on both sides. Uh, there was a Michael Gallup drop in the second quarter that would have been a huge like 30 plus yard touchdown. Uh, Justin Herbert missed Keenan Allen, I believe, uh, late in the game. 
I, and it's it's some of those things where it's like you you expected that explosion and yet that familiarity Kellen Moore being with Mike McCarthy Dan Quinn going up against them in practice it seemed like the defenses got the better of these offensive minded coaches uh, over the course of Sunday and Monday. Yeah, I, I'll start with like just the the Dallas Cowboys defense. I think that there's there's just so much talent all over that defense, and it starts and ends with Micah Parsons, right? Just what he's able to give you off the edge. Um, I, I think he was just so disruptive against what the Chargers wanted to do, um, and it really did affect Justin Herbert. Um, Herbert, obviously not as impressive as he usually is, um, and I think it really did affect the, the Chargers' ability to win down the stretch of that game. Um, I, I think that, you, you know, the Cowboys are, are just, they're one of the most talented teams in the NFL. So their ability to, to go into a, you know, West coast game, like they did, um, and, and take care of business, even though it was a, a semi-close game. I, I know you guys are, are higher on the Cowboys than most as well. Um, but I mean, their, their defense is just stacked from, from top to bottom, even without a guy like, like Trayvon Diggs, who is unfortunately lost for the season. But I mean, I just I, I can't speak to to how good of a pass rusher like Micah Parsons is. He he, along with I, I think like two two different guys, maybe like Fred Warner and Miles um, Garrett are, are I, I believe like the three probably best defenders um, in terms of like impacting wins at in the in the NFL. I think that all three of those guys are just so so phenomenal, and Micah Parsons really was able to show it. Yeah, I think he and the rest of the Dallas defense had a pretty good game. Like you were talking about, Herbert definitely didn't have his best outing. I think the uh, the fingers still affecting him pretty heavily. I, I don't remember if he was wearing a splint during this game, but he was just missing throws that he normally would make. Uh, but the interesting thing to me between these two games, like you were talking about, is the defensive intensity. I want to look at the Buffalo and uh, Giants game. Buffalo didn't score until the fourth quarter and that Giants defense is not good they didn't finish with a single sack that game they did have the one turnover but they were able to stymie the Bills throughout the game and obviously the Bills were able to stop the vaunted Giants offense with Tyrod Taylor and the rest of the guys there but it's just a real defensive slugfest and while the the they were lighting it lighting up the board more in the Dallas and Char or yeah Dallas and Chargers game I can't speak right now that was still a defensive game as well. And it's just interesting to see the, the familiarity, like you were talking about, Steve, with the offensive coordinator going up against the their former team and the defensive coordinator that knows them well. I wonder if that's a thing that happens kind of often when a coordinator goes up against their former team and uh, kind of takes it on the chin because they know their tendencies. I, I think that plays a role. It has to. Uh, it seemed like it echoed their the harp on your point, Dylan, I mean, what the Cowboys have put together on defense and that whole team, the roster is stacked top to bottom. And what I want to point out is Jordan Schultz. He was reporting that Deron Bland, who's kind of been playing in Trayvon Diggs role. You have Stefan Gilmore, who's been balling out. He had the game winning interception. They may still look to add another secondary piece uh, via trade coming up because they just understand like, hey, we're going to go up against the 49ers. We're going to go up against the Eagles. And they have these star-studded wide receivers. We need to be able to slow that down. So I, I think that would be an interesting addition as we see the trade deadline approach within the next two weeks. 
I think that's interesting because I, I think Bland has been one of the more underrated corners in the league so far. Um, he's He's been like pretty, pretty good. I think PFF graded him out very, very well the past few weeks, especially after Trayvon Diggs went down. So that is that is interesting to me. Yeah, Bland had a uh, – he was, a, I believe, a fifth-round rookie last year. He had an excellent rookie year, five picks. Uh, he already has three interceptions this year. Really good cover corner. But like you were saying, Steve, with that report, a lot of people are thinking that Sertan might be available at the deadline. And I think that's a guy that uh, if Dallas can add him to that defense, they'd be unstoppable. And if you're pushing for a Super Bowl, that's obviously something you should be looking at. So it'll be interesting to see who or what player they try to go after at the deadline coming up in, uh, I believe it's two weeks. I think the deadline's on Halloween this year. So speaking of defenses, starting off our best performances is another team that has really built that side of the ball, and that's the Browns defense. I mean, when you have a defensive line, and and you kind of alluded to this earlier, Dylan, Micah Parsons is like one of three defenders that really can move a game from like a wins perspective. And the defensive line that they had, like we talked about this all offseason, like the pieces they add, whether it was the trade for Zedarius Smith, signing Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, drafting, uh, I think, Siaka out of, uh, was it Baylor? Yeah, Siaki Ika, yeah. And it, when you you just start building that defensive line, especially the interior where they got gashed in the run all last year, and then they had the secondary uh, that they had, it's it's just almost impossible to move the ball on them. And the San Francisco 49ers, one of the best offenses in football, found that to be the case in the dog pound on Sunday. So it was very cool to see that they uh, were held under 20 points, especially when the 49ers have scored 30 plus all year. I think an interesting thing uh, looking forward for the Niners is they, they had some injuries in this game. I know McCaffrey got banged up with an oblique injury. I believe Trent Williams was also banged up in that game. So hard loss for them, but the, the uh, Browns defense was absolutely smothering them. And like you, you predicted this in your take from last week that they would hold them to under 25 points, I believe. They did even better and held them under 20. And like you're saying, the first time all year that the Niners have even been held below 30. So just an absolutely dominant performance from the Browns defense. This this is I think I think by far the the best defense in the NFL at least right now. Um, we talked about the Jets unit a little bit earlier. I mean this this defense is almost like a step above that, mm-hmm. where they have so many different guys. Whether it's it's Miles Garrett. I mean, there's I keep thinking about that one highlight a few weeks ago where the Titans would like motion two tight ends and yes, <laughs> yeah. I I keep thinking about that and it's just <clears throat> it's insane to me that. You're, you're trying to like almost triple team a, a, a defensive end, a single player. Um, Dallin Tomlinson, Zadarius Smith, um, their linebackers have been performing very well. And their secondary as well between Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward, and like three different safeties between Delpit, Thornhill, and McLeod. Like they can just throw a lot of different looks at you. And you can see how it affects an offense that's just like has so many different stars Kittle, McCaffrey. Debo, Ayuk, um, just a tremendous offensive line. And um, that I, I think the Browns defense is just on another level of any other team in the NFL right now. Yeah, they're definitely one of the deeper units in the league. And another pretty deep unit in the NFL this year is the Dolphins run game. I know it seems like we talk about the Dolphins every week, and the best performance we have for them this week is Raheem Mostert. 
over 100 rushing yards, three total touchdowns against us. Uh, most, I think he has the most rushing touchdowns in the league this year. And he was doing some crazy stuff. They were scheming up some crazy plays for him. I know one of the touchdowns, it was on like the far end zone. They mo- they bring him in motion and have, I believe it was Durham Smythe, the tight end, run in motion like around. It's like he's running to the flat. And they don't throw it to him. To a fakes it, throws it to Mostert. And they have the guy in motion coming to block, and Mostert just walks in. Some of the stuff they're able to do with their running backs and with their whole offense in general is outstanding. And like I said, we have somebody on here every week for them, and this week it was Mostert. He, I... I... <laughs> I think that Mike McDaniel is just—he's—he's he's unbelievable as a as a play caller, as a coach. Um, what, what he's able to do, uh, just <laughs> innovating what what NFL offenses are doing um, throughout this season has been unbelievable. The motion um, you, you mentioned that play to um, to Moster where they motioned the tight end over beforehand. I I was I immediately thought of that play when you started talking about Moster. Um, He's, I, I think Mike McDaniel is just, he's, he's on another level. I know he's always sort of at the, the top of um, your, your play caller ranking, Steve. So um, that, that's really all I can say about that Dolphins offense is just, he's, he's unbelievable the way he's able to scheme all of his different track stars open, whether it's Hill, Waddle, Mostert, when a, when a chain is in him, uh, just so many different guys, so many different weapons, so much speed. Um, just unbelievable separation all the time. Mostert obviously got, got the benefit this week, um, as did pretty much every other Dolphins receiver, <laughs> but especially Mostert. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think McDaniels is just, he's, he's unbelievable. I, I was sitting down with a film analyst a couple weeks ago, and we were kind of breaking down kind of what the Dolphins are doing, and they don't trust the interior of their offensive line. They like Teron Armstead. They like a little bit of their tackle play. But that's why a lot of stuff gets pushed on the perimeter. There's a lot of this dressing pre-snap. And when you have that much speed, the defense has to honor it. Because if another offense, like say, for instance, like the Arizona Cardinals, a very scrappy team, but if they were to come out and try to run some of those similar motions, the defense just isn't going to respect it because the speed isn't there. But in this case, like when I think it's what, like eight or 10 of the fastest ball carriers have been Devon Achan and Tyreek Hill, and it's on one single team. It's just so many different ways to attack you and deploy. And the cool thing is, is I this should have been something that everybody saw coming. Like this should have been the iteration from Mike McDaniel going into his second year. He was the run game coordinator for San Francisco. Like that's what set him apart and why Kyle Shanahan kept him for so long on his staff until obviously he got hired as a head coach. And it's because he understands like how everything connects and he's able to marry the pass and the run so well together that if he's in 21 personnel, he can get a defense and a look that they don't want to be in and just murder them throughout like he could run it eight straight times or he could pass it eight straight times he's going to get the same result and it's it's beautiful to watch honestly one of the leaders if not the sole leader for coach of the year right now for sure uh our last guy is another speedster uh (laughs) but uh adam thielen a guy that a lot of people had written off coming into this year he had 11 receptions for 115 yards and one touchdown this past week since week two he has the most receptions in the NFL, 
the sixth most receiving yards and the most games with 11 or more catches. Yeah, also the most uh, wide receiver fantasy points, but that's neither here nor there. He's really uh, created a strong rapport with Bryce Young, and it's good to see that he's still he's still kicking at, I think, age 33, 34 maybe this year. He's, he's an important piece of our passing offense, and hopefully uh, he has many more to come. What I really like when watching Adam Thielen is just how he's able to find like the soft spot in the zone and and just find ways to get open even without you know the the speed of of Tyree Hill per se. Um, he he's just always he's extremely crafty, just such a great route runner. Um, really the the perfect type of weapon for a guy like Bryce Young. He's he's not going to be here forever, right? Even even next year, he'll probably take a, a pretty big step back. But to to have a weapon like him for a guy like Bryce Young is just so important, even if he is legitimately the only guy that creates anything resembling separation. Which is shocking because his yards per route run, his separation last year, from like an analytics metric standpoint, all dropped off last year. So I did not think he was going to be nearly this productive. I thought he would be a good security blanket. But this kind of production is very shocking to see. And I hope it continues because we paid him a lot of money this offseason. And to get some of that production, especially this first year, and why Bryce is learning and developing. And we, we have a young wide receiver, Mingo, that we're trying to develop, who's a very raw prospect. Like that stuff is stuff you can lean on, especially when the wide receiver room is as thin as it is. Uh, you talk about separation. He, I believe consistently week after week, he's the receiver that gets the most separation out of our guys. Now, granted, he's not like a world beater or anything, but he's the only above average to average guy in terms of separation. I know I see all those spider charts every week. I'm not sure which account on Twitter posts them. But uh, yeah, all of our other receivers are near the bottom of the league. So it's good to have at least one guy who's able to, like you said, Dylan, find the soft spot in the zone or be able to hit an option route right to get away from his guy. It's really a, a really good thing for Bryce to have in his rookie year. Hopefully, Thomas Brown will kind of have that clicking coming out of the bye. Coaches, though, who are on this hot seat that we need to talk about, briefly, we'll kind of go over one of the guys from last week. Bill Belichick didn't do himself any favors losing out in the desert uh, to a former employee of his and Josh McDaniels. So uh, back-to-back losses out in Las Vegas in consecutive years. It uh, doesn't look good for him in that regime. We talked about that. The guy that we really kind of want to get into and a guy that probably – could end up being the first guy canned. It's it's interesting because his defensive coordinator already got canned by the FBI. His offensive coordinator, the fans absolutely hate. But that's Matt Eberflus. Like this is a guy that got brought in to kind of change the culture in Chicago, and it's it's been horrendous. It's been putrid. I, I know Dylan was kind of alluding to like play caller rankings, and Matt Eberflus is below Vance Joseph in that ranking, and that's that's hard to do to beat out a guy like Vance Joseph who has been absolutely abysmal is is a feat in and of itself talking about your play caller ranking i looked at the one that you put out today uh go check out patent analytics on twitter and his uh graphics but looking at matt eberflus it was really shocking to see he was below vance joseph because i thought during his time with the colts they had decent defenses uh during when he and frank reich were there and everything so it's just it's interesting to see especially with the investment in both the draft and in the free agency they spent a ton of money in that linebacker room it's just interesting to see how poorly the defenses are perform or the defense is performing yeah, I mean, when when your team goes out and 
trades trades number one overall pick. They bring in a guy like DJ Moore. They they spend money on a guy like Nate Davis in defensive players like TJ Edwards, like Tremaine Edmonds. And this team still looks as bad as it does, if not like worse than last year in some regard. It's it's hard to justify bringing bringing a coach back or even having them stay on the entire year. Um, th- this this Bears team, outside of like a Thursday night game, has has looked like the worst team in the NFL, right? Like Justin Fields has has had some flashes, but you know nothing that would make you want to you know build around him for another year. This offensive line looks like the worst unit in the NFL and at some points um it's really just like if if you look up and down their roster like what what do you have to build on like you have a receiver right um you have Roshan Johnson in the backfield a fourth round running back you don't really have too much defensively outside of like you know Jalen Johnson has has looked pretty good Jaquan Brisker um, at some points, but even guys like Kyler Gordon, who was a second round pick last year, has looked very, very bad. Um, th- this team is just, you know, top to bottom. You would love to see more progress from being the the worst team in the NFL last year. But, you know, I, I, I'm not one to usually put too much stock in the Thursday night games, um, especially against the Washington Commanders. So, I, I just um, I'm not sold on this team. I'm not sold on Eberflus. I never really have been. Um, you know, if things continue, which I have no reason to believe they won't continue, I there's no way that he will be back um, at the end of this year. And what's interesting is they have our pick as well. So if they continue like this, if we don't take a step and start performing, they're gonna have at least one of the top three picks, if not two. And from there, when you look to bring in a QB of like Drake May or Caleb Williams caliber, do you really want Matt Eberflus to be the guy there? It's like the writing's kind of on the wall for him. And like you said, Steve, I could see him being the first guy gone uh, midseason. I think you brought up an interesting point, Dylan, because we as Panther fans, I think, are very familiar. They beat the Washington Commanders on a short week. And I remember most Thursday night games that we had, Ron Rivera did not have our crew ready. So it's like one of those things, like, absolutely, you can look at that as like a fluke game, fluke performance, because outside of that, everything else has been putrid and awful. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at, <laughs> I, I, I guess, I, I just, I don't like Thursday night games in general. I think yeah. they're they're just a bad idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's so many injuries that happen on Thursday nights. Um, it, it's so hard to 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 game plan on a short week like that, especially if your name is Ron Rivera. So <laughs> I, I think it's just um, the the Bears got to win that week, which you know good for them. But at the end of the day, they still have the first two picks at the moment. So does it does it really matter all that much? Um, I, I don't I don't really think so. Um, Iberflus is just, uh, he honestly probably should have been gone after winning like three games last year. I've, I've just never been, never been a huge fan of his. Um, yeah, I, 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 if I'm a Bears fan, like I'm pretty much looking forward to late April. Ron Rivera couldn't game plan very well on long, long weeks either. So uh, I, I wouldn't hold him to just the Thursday games. And we have another guy here who's kind of a fringe candidate. Kind of old school, like Rivera. It's What's Mike Vrabel. The past, oh, you already said his name. Yeah. I was about to say oh, uh, yeah. the past two coaches were defensive, and this guy is as well. So that was the the tying theme together. Well, 
when we were talking during the uh, the game segment about the Titans kind of losing their QB, maybe taking a step back this year, since Vrabel, his, in his first year, we talked about this earlier, Steve, when he went to the AFC Championship, it's all kind of been downhill from there. And I'm interested to see with the new uh, front office, if they're willing to keep Vrabel on, if they try to get a new QB, if they think Will Levis is the future. It's just an interesting thing because they haven't had success much these past two years and haven't had playoff success since that uh, that first big run that they had. So that's a name that's – I don't know if he's on the hot seat, but uh, his seat is lukewarm, I think. I just – I think this team just – has a lack of talent that they've had in the past that, you know, allowed them to be successful, right? Like they have a below average quarterback at the moment, right? I'm not going to show the coat what Ryan Tannehill is in his current state. Derrick Henry is like 5 million years old for running back. <laughs> um, so is DeAndre Hopkins for a receiver. At least you would, you would think so watching him. Um, he's, he's a lot slower than he used to be. Traylon Burks hasn't proven that, you know, he's, you know, what he was drafted to be. Uh, they don't really have an above average tight end on this roster. They have one good offensive lineman that's starting and he's a rookie. Yep. You have Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, um, a lot of ifs in the secondary. But I think nothing... you have Arden Key. Did they bring in him? And Or uh, no, what's the guy from San Francisco? Um, Den- they have Danico Autry to your tar. Their defensive line's pretty good. Oh, yeah, I, I just like it. It kind of um, with, with the lack of lack of offensive talent, right? And um, you, you did mention like their D line is pretty good. I, I like Harold Landry a lot more than most. I think he's a very talented pass rusher, but it's just it's. I think there's a severe lack of playmakers on on both sides of the ball, guys that can generate turnovers, right? Um, I, I just think this Titans team is in a spot where they have a lot of older players and, and guys getting up there in age and they don't really have a lot of young guys to replace those players. So, you know, they, they started it this past year when, when they started building from the inside out, drafting Skaronsky in the first round, right? Um, they spent the high pick on Will Levis. They have, they, ha- they still have some players uh, defensively, Jeffrey Simmons, Landry, Bayard, um, Tart and Autry. So I, I, I think that it's just a spot where, you know, when, when they're in the draft, they're, they're just going to need to collect as much talent as possible. Um, and they're in a spot where I, I think that the two and four record reflects how good they're going to be this year, right? Like, I'm just not sure they're going to get much better. How much of that reflects on Mike Vrabel, I'm not sure. Because to be honest with you, like, I think a lot of his teams the past few years have overperformed to expectations mm-hmm. considering the talent around. So it's not like I would be rushing to to make a decision to to fire him. I think that you know making making that that AFC championship appearance maybe um, got him some goodwill. Whether that runs out with how bad this team could possibly be this year, I'm not sure. But I just. I see an overall lack of, of playmakers on both sides of the ball to where it would, would justify the, the coach um, being gone when he has overperformed with such rosters in the past. I think that's super fair. Was, my thought was just move it like if they're going to go in a different direction from the roster standpoint, if he was going to stick around for that. But he, he's definitely been an excellent coach since he's been there. 
Yeah, no, he's definitely been a plus factor for that team, that locker room. I know a lot of people just want to use him as a motivator, but this is a guy that came from uh, Bill O'Brien. Bill a played for Bill Belichick. He he understands the X's and O's, and he gets the most out of his players. He understands kind of a, a lot of what's one day, uh, like Sunday in, Sunday out, is in the trenches. And when he first got there, they had a great offensive line, and they're having to retool that. And I think he'd be okay with being there for the rebuild. Now, a team that is going to be rebuilding in the future. They aren't this year, uh, but due to cap concerns, the Cleveland Browns right now under Jim Schwartz look amazing, look phenomenal. We talked about it, um, how they held the 49ers to under 20 points. Believe it or not, every time Jim Schwartz has played up against Kyle Shanahan, the play caller, he is, I believe, one in nine and now in those games. So they played 10 games and he's held Shanahan to under 20 points in each of those contests. Like, this is a guy that understands some of the the higher up, like how some of these complex offenses work, and he knows how to shut them down. And he he definitely deserves a lot of credit. He brought the heat this Sunday. Um, and it's a guy we're going to keep talking about moving forward. Yeah, that, that Browns unit was just unbelievable. I've talked at length about them so far. Um, but, I mean, it's it's just they have so much talent. He's He's, you know, showing so many different looks and being successful at basically all of them, um, whether it's like a three safety look between those those three different safeties of, of McLeod, um, Del Pitt, and I, I forget the other one, but I, the secondary is so good. The pass rush with Miles Garrett is so good. He's He's been awesome this year. Looking back at our very first episode, Steve, we had Jim Schwartz in our top 10 additions to the division. We had him at six. I think we undersold him. He's he's definitely been the best addition to this division so far to any of the teams. And he has that defense playing lights out. I know the past couple years, even dating back to when Baker was the QB, we would talk about, man, this Browns roster on paper is one of the best in the league. But each year they would underperform and wouldn't get it done. This year, with a, like a competent coordinator and Jim Schwartz on that defensive side of the ball, they're looking like the best defense in the league. Now, another guy, and we talked about kind of his defense at length, but Robert Sala isn't the guy calling the plays for the New York Jets. It's their defensive coordinator, Jeff Ulbrich. And the fact that he did not have Sauce Gardner or DJ Reed and was still able to contain kind of the Eagles wide receivers, because you got to think they still have AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard. Those guys weren't out of the game. They were still in there despite the Lane Johnson injury and they still got it done. So credits to him, credit to the scheme that they're building there. Again, that's a, a defense that has kind of morphed off from the Shanahan tree, from Robert Sala's time in San Francisco. So they're able to stop some of these offenses with motions and some of these decoys that they set up because they've they've gone against them in practice for years now. Yeah, that, that Jets defense, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? We've talked so much about like the talent that they have and, and beating the Eagles without those two elite level corners, I think is just a testament to how well run that team is. Um, and, and once they do get those guys back, it's going to be so much better. Yeah, this this defense is the unit that's keeping them in games like we were talking about. Uh, they've held just excellent teams to pretty low point totals. And moving forward, they're going to be the thing that drives them to a wild card berth. Or dare I say division win? 
I, I don't know if they're going to win the division. Yeah. I mean, you have the Bills and the Dolphins. Uh, I think if they can get into the wild card, that will be impressive, especially with like a stacked AFC. They're probably they're going to be contending with like the Pittsburgh Steelers for like that six seven spot. Just in time for Rogers to come back from his uh, his Achilles. Very true. Now, another guy we talked about Mike Caldwell last week, and he's kind of that really nobody knows about him defensive play caller and he's been tearing it up down in Jacksonville but another guy that I think deserves a lot of credit is Aaron Glenn with the Detroit Lions I mean this guy has been huge in Aiden Hutchinson's development who spent time with Dwight Freeney this offseason to kind of offset his smaller arms it's one thing that you had a knock on Hutchinson coming out of the draft was his shorter arms and his ability to kind of get after the quarterback. And he hasn't been able, he, he hasn't been stood up nearly as much by tackles this year because he understands how to use his leverage, how to get around tackles when he kind of gets close to their chest and it forced tackles to, to, to punch and kick out more and not let him come into their body. And it changes the complexity of that defensive line. He can line up as a three tech, a nine tech, some of the pieces they've added on that defensive line. This was a big question mark we had about the Detroit Lions coming into the season. And it appears to be one of their biggest strengths. Tie that to the fact that they have Cam Sutton playing really well on the back end. Brian Branch, their rookie, has looked really good. This is just a complete unit, and it looks like a dominant force in the NFC. I saw a tweet after we played the the Lions that Aiden Hutchinson rushes the passer like Waluigi. And <laughs> yeah. I, I, I saw that clip like everywhere. I think like Sports Center or something posted it on Instagram afterwards. It's just that's all I think about when I think of Aiden Hutchinson now. But he's he's awesome. He's been so, so good. Um you, you mentioned Brian Branch. I think he was one of the more underrated prospects coming into the draft this past year and he's kind of proven it when he's been on the field he's been like an awesome playmaker for the lions so they're they're a defense that has a lot of different interesting players like you mentioned cam sutton i like kirby joseph um charles harris kind of has had a career resurgence in detroit um jack campbell looks like a, a rookie linebacker so far um he's had Alex a couple glimpses Antimony. he has he has i i I was very concerned when they drafted him in the first round about his ability to be like a, a pass coverage kind yep. of guy. And um, I think a lot of those concerns have kind of carried over so far this year. But in terms of being like a run-stopping linebacker, I think he's been like very, very good at like filling gaps, meeting guys. Um, I, I think that he will be like a, a good starting linebacker going forward i'm just a little bit hesitant about his ability and coverage um aiden aiden hutchinson though i think that's that's he's going to be the star of this defense going forward i mean every team wants like an elite young pass rusher that they can sort of build around and the lions are just so lucky that the jaguars did not select him first overall and instead went with trayvon walker yeah i think going into the year we even talked about this last week the defense is what we had concerns with, uh, particularly in the, particularly in the run game, Steve. And the way they've been able to do this, despite all their injuries, being a, a suffocating run defense, a defense that gets after the quarterback with, aside from Hutchinson, not a ton of big name players, and just shuts them shuts them down in the back end with the pass game. It's been phenomenal, and I think Aaron Glenn is a huge uh, huge reason for that. 
Now we're on to one of our final sections, and that's the MVP watch. Me and Jacob have a disagreement on who is number one. I'll let Jacob go first and make his case for why he believes player X is one. And then I will list my reasons why player Y should be one. So kick it off for us, Jacob. If you have any input, Dylan, uh, feel free to jump in. Yeah, they're they're neck and neck to me. Um, and these are guys that we talked about last week. I have Tua Tagovailoa as number one right now. Uh, just the engine behind a 5-1 a and one team. He leads the league. I believe he's tied for the league lead in uh, passing touchdowns. Leads the league in yards. He's just playing lights out this year. Uh, he's just keeping the Dolphins going. I know they do have kind of an easy mode scheme, and they do have really good playmakers. But they had that scheme and some of those playmakers last year, and I think Tua's just stepped it up a level and uh, really has the offense functioning at a high level en route to a 5-1 first six-game stretch. So I think Tua definitely deserves to be in the conversation. I think he is top three, top two, uh, probably top two. But I think the guy that needs to be at number one is Josh Allen. He leads the league in total EPA, and EPA is expected points added. So that's accounting for down distance, time to go, when we're factoring in uh, what does this yard gain look like from a points perspective. And that's what matters. Who scores the most points at the end of the day is going to win the game. So he leads in that regard. He's also one of the best red zone passers. And a lot of offenses are having struggles in the red zone, and the ability to punch it in when it matters is a huge skill. And I think that's one thing that if he can carry the Bills to the number one seed in the AFC, he is going to put himself in a position where I think he's the MVP frontrunner. You both make very valid points. If I if I had to choose between those two players, I think right now I would I would lean Josh Allen because I think he's doing a little bit more with slightly less weapons. But I want to make the point here that I, I think Tyreek Hill is a player that's kind of underrated in this conversation, right? Like he's putting up just unreal numbers, right? As of right now, if if he continues uh, on this 17-game pace, which, again, that's that's asking a lot, right? He would finish with over 2,300 yards, which is just an absurd number, on about 120 receptions and 17 touchdowns right and i think my point here is if a wide receiver it does that in the current nfl and does not win mvp i don't think a receiver would ever win mvp right and he's doing that right so so i saw a tweet today that said you know yards route you know yards per route run in non-garbage time which is defined by um, a win percentage of 10% to 90%. Um, Tyreek Hill is averaging six yards per route run. Second is Stefan Diggs with 3.1 yards per route run. So almost wow. double, right? There have been 14 games this year where a wide receiver has 150 plus receiving yards. Tyreek Hill has four of those 14 games. I so I think, I think, you know, I, I know you guys like McCaffrey a lot in this conversation as well, but considering like the Mike McDaniel system, considering, you know, those, that 17 game, you know, projection right now for Tyree kill, as well as just the, the, the pure, pure production, right. Yards per route run, you know, more than double any other player in the NFL. I think that 
he's really being underrated in this conversation. And I mean, if it comes to week 18 and he has like 22, five, 20, 22, mm-hmm. um, and like 15 or more touchdowns, it's going to be really hard to, to vote against that. Um, considering we've never seen wide receiver numbers, like even close to that. No, if he breaks, he breaks 2k and he breaks 2k by that margin, like you're saying that 2200 range and he does it like you're saying on like 120 receptions, like, yes, he absolutely deserves, uh, all of the accreditation in terms of like MVP votes and consideration. I, I wonder if he's going to get the Justin Jefferson treatment from last year. And I think it was the Cooper cup from the year before. And it's, you get offensive player of the year. Like that's, that's the compensation. Like MVP is held for the quarterback position, but I, all the points that you listed out, I think Tyree kill deserves to be in this conversation. And it's for a lot of the same reasons as the guy on our list at number three, Christian McCaffrey, it's everything runs through this guy and what he's able to do. And if the stats keep up the way they're on pace to, there's no reason he shouldn't be. Right. We talked about last week when they acquired McCaffrey, they were undefeated except for the NFC championship game. Well, he gets hurt in this game and they lose the game. Now, I'm not saying that's correlated, but he's certainly super important to this uh, San Francisco 49ers offense. He is the engine that it runs through. I know Purdy is playing a bit better than what he did last year, but McCaffrey's the one who sets it up with all the motion, all the stuff out of the backfield he can do. Like Tage said last week, he's just tr- he's not a running back. He's just truly a weapon. He's he's one of those few guys where people are like, oh, this guy, this running back can run routes out of the backfield. Well, McCaffrey can actually line up and run routes better than receivers can. He's he's a true weapon and glad to see him thriving. This is a lot of the same stuff I said last week, but hopefully he's able to get back better after or come back after that oblique injury and keep performing at this high level because it's going to be stuff like LaDainian Tomlinson did back in the day, like Adrian Peterson did if he keeps up his pace. I really, I really don't want to live in the universe where the Panthers give up the NFL MVP <laughs> and the number one overall pick in the span of 19 months, something like that. Um, that would, that would really be pretty depressing. That's that's our life as Panther fans <laughs> these days, and I'm glad that we're able to this week to just take a breather and enjoy the rest of the NFL games and not have to worry about another loss. Um, that being said, because we're kind of in this almost like we're getting close to about the halfway point in the season, I think it's fair to start handing out grades and assessments, um, both from a front office and coaching standpoint, but also a player evaluation. How have some of these players that we have paid or invested high draft capital in, how have they performed up to this point in the season? Uh, Jacob, what do, what do you think? What do you want to kick off first? Uh, I'll let you kind of take this away. Every week we talk about, and some of it fairly, some of it unfairly, mostly fairly, about uh, how the coaching staff and the performance from the coaching rooms is just below par. We heard all offseason from not only fans, but from like news pundits like Ian Rappaport, how this is a, a superstar coaching staff, one of the best coaching staffs we've ever seen. And so with that in mind, I'm thinking man, we should have good game plans. We should be able to manage the game well. We'll have a, a stronger analytics staff. I know they brought in a couple people for the analytics room. And so far, it's just all been pretty horrendous. I Like, maybe an F is harsh, like if we're looking at a letter grade scale. But I think they've uh, I think they've failed in a lot of the facets of the game so far. Game management, just wasting timeouts, getting times before the half where we can 
drive down and try and get a touchdown and we just waste time and play for the field goal happened this week by the way against the dolphins and panera missing i'm just gonna chalk that up to karma for uh letting time tick off and not go for the touchdown but uh in my opinion i and i i know we're only six weeks in and i don't want to be too hard because i've been hard every other podcast but i think the uh the coaching staff has been a letdown so far i think anytime you're owing six through six weeks it's going to be an f grade yeah i, I mean it's, it's it's pretty self-explanatory i i i this this team we were told would be um, one that would, if not make the playoffs in, in a weak division, at least compete for a playoff spot. And that this team is 0-2 against division opponents and 0-6 through six weeks, having lost by a combined, uh, I'm not going to do the math, but a lot of points uh, the last two weeks. So um, it's, it's really disappointing, especially when, you know, it's the first offensive-minded head coach that this team has ever had right and you struggle so much offensively whether it's whether it's the play calling whether it's it's you know receivers failing to get separation whether it's the offensive line regressing as much as it has um and a lot of that has been because of the personnel right but um at the end of the day this this team was you know it won six seven games last year um, you change the coats, you, you add the first overall picky quarterback. It doesn't matter what else changes. You expect to get better, right? Um, so for this team to enlist through through six weeks is almost inexcusable, right? It is. And I think what's alarming is the fact that we're not playing towards our strengths. We had like five tight ends rostered on our final 53. We knew our wide receiver room wasn't our strong point. And we've had three or more wide receivers on the field for 90% of our offensive plays. And Reich had more of a background using 12 personnel in Indianapolis prior to coming here. So why aren't we having Tommy Tremble and Hayden Hurst on the field together with Amingo? So we have extra big bodies, not only in the run game, but pass protection. So we can have six, seven, eight man protections on some of these Bryce Young dropbacks. Because what I hate to see, especially when we have the number one overall pick and it's a smaller dude, is that he's getting beat up behind a porous offensive line. And I, I don't know what line of thinking the offensive coaches go and go, oh yeah, five-man protections. Like, it's clearly working. Let's keep doing it. And they just keep doing it. And it's it's very frustrating. I'm hoping when Thomas Brown comes out of the bye, we're seeing more play action. We're seeing a lot more motion. There's a lot more deception to cause the defense to hesitate just for a little bit to give Bryce some time because these aren't world beaters in the wide receiver room. Adam Thielen being our best wide receiver is not necessarily like a, a job well done by the front office. This is, this is something where like the offensive coaches need to realize there are deficiencies in your personnel and how to combat that. And that's, that's not been done. I think a thing that's being overlooked too is the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we, we had pretty, I would say average to maybe slightly above average personnel uh, coming into this year. And we added Ejiro Evero as the new coordinator and the defense just hasn't been up to par either. I know we talked about the injuries and stuff like that, but really disheartening to see on that side of the ball. Um, and then uh, unless anybody has any more bars for the coaching staff, we can move on to the front office, which uh, I don't think it'll be any different. The grade. 
it's it's yeah. shocking that we've traded I, I think it's I've seen some of the tweets but it's like almost like eight or ten picks for like the various quarterbacks over the years like we trade for Darnold we trade for Mayfield we trade up and draft Matt Corral then we trade up a whole bunch of picks to go grab Bryce Young and it's just we throw so many darts at the ball and then like you guys alluded to earlier we haven't hit on the other picks that we've taken like this is not a a roster full of talent from the draft and free agency you can only do so much and so like at the end of the day fitterer needs to be held responsible and i don't see him lasting past this season so i, I have a before i talk about scott fitter i have a i have a question for you too am i am i allowed to to swear here on this podcast yes we yeah, we're, we're gonna check a little box you drop whatever word you want to as long as it's not a racial slur okay <laughs> uh that will not be an issue for me um so i i'm in this group chat with a bunch of other panthers fans and we um our, our nickname for for scott fitter has become shitterer um he's, there we go <laughs> That's good. there we go um it's he's look at the end of the day we, we talked about it earlier you you build your team through the draft and you supplement that through through adding you know pieces via trade or free agency but you never want those pieces to be your cornerstones you want your cornerstones to come through the draft at the end of the day the the 2021 nfl draft you had 11 picks um you, you draft jc horn in the first round right um we talked about the misses uh and who they did not select right like everybody likes to talk about us passing on justin fields in that draft or at least the past few years it's been kind of the narrative but the two picks after sertan Devonte smith the, the two picks after fields were parsons and slater all of those guys we could have used right and and if you look at like the top 13 picks in in that draft like jc horn is probably one of the worst non-quarterbacks taken um you know if you look at the the 2022 nfl draft right uh Iquanu has has not performed this season at least um up to standard and, and neither has has evan neal i would i would say icky has been much better than evan neal throughout their young careers so far um but Charles Cross has looked like a franchise left tackle as well. Mm -hmm. Garrett Wilson won Rookie of the Year, right? And he's he looks every bit of an elite receiver. It's easy to do kind of like the revisionist history sort of thing, um, especially with the first-round picks. But if you look at just even, even this year, right, like you trade up for a, a defensive lineman in the third round who's not projected to go into like the fifth round, mm -hmm. right? And DJ Johnson, he's like not even played a snap right he's been he looks horrendous. awful in we practice like, we haven't you heard some of the him. practice videos and he just he can't beat a backup uh, like offensive tackle like what he looks he looks very bad right and granted you, you never know what these draft guys like they they could be developmental and i don't know if even that could be an excuse for a player who's 25 years old right mm -hmm. i think it's too early to judge jonathan mingo um, but the Panthers did also pass on a guy like Tank Dell, who's been awesome in Houston so far. Um, last year, they, they trade up for Matt Corral in what's kind of like a panic move because they didn't want to trade for Baker yet, I guess. And then they draft Brandon Smith, a linebacker in the fourth round, who was cut this year, right? Um, the other three picks that they had are not good. Um, if you look at 2021 again, Terrace Marshall, not good. Brady Christensen is is probably like the only 
average starter, I would say. I'm comfortable saying um, he's an average starter outside of, like, Bryce Young so far. Yeah. Um, Tommy Tremble, not good for a third-round pick. Chuba Hubbard, he, he's good for a fourth-rounder, right? Um, outside of that, like, this, it's, it's quite frankly um, inexcusable to have three different drafts with 20-plus players, and none of them are above average. I yeah, am I mean, so only... glad you brought up DJ Johnson. Because <laughs> looking at my uh, my draft board here, he was the lowest person that I had graded to go on day two. And we took him at 80. I had him at 166 out of 199. And we took him at 80. We traded up to get him. And uh, the two guys that we ended up, or they ended up drafting, Darnell Washington. He hasn't done too much, but he's been a solid blocker. And uh, Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin been a pretty good pass rusher so far yeah I, I mean when when your offense needs playmakers right two two of the five picks that go after you and I know it's like a running back right um but Ty J Spears the pick after mm-hmm. DJ Johnson Devon A chain like five picks mm-hmm. after right so when you need like playmakers all over the offense and you're you're trading like multiple solid picks up to get a player like like DJ Johnson it's it's like it's moves like that that won't get a lot of coverage that really hurt your team building because you're getting two potential rotation guys at at the very minimum right and you're trading them for a 25 year old edge rusher who should not have gone where he went it's he, it's just like the simple stuff like that he started as a tight end too at Oregon yeah he's i <laughs> i like to think of myself as somebody that like does does like a lot of of draft research every year I never, never thought that DJ Johnson, he was, he simply was not on my radar to go that high. Like even, even close to the the 80th overall pick. Yeah. He was in UDFA territory for me, but and it's, it was bad. It's, yeah. It's and, a- and when, uh, let me just real quick, uh, Federer explained it when he explained the move. I remember in one of his pressers that they thought an edge rusher run was about to start going. So they wanted to jump ahead and get a guy there. That's not really a good reason to waste your picks there, especially when we're still a team that clearly isn't co- going to be competitive. But may- maybe in maybe he thought that we were going to be competitive because that was the message he was peddling all offseason, like you guys are saying, that we we should drop this QB in and make a run at the NFC South. I mean, you, you look at some of the players that we could have taken with that that later pick, right? Siaki Ika, who's been pretty good for Cleveland this year, right? Like Kaylee Ringo, who, granted, hasn't hasn't been you know in, in the rotation for Philly, but you know with a team that that needs corner depth so desperately, he could have been a player that had an impact for for the Panthers this year, right? Like Clark Phillips is another guy. There's just there's so many guys like up and down the board that you can point to. Um, and, and say that they would have an impact. And I know it's it's revisionist history. I keep saying that, but at the end of the day, like your your job as a general manager is to go and draft the right players for the team. You're supposed to build up, you know, your team, your depth, um, and hopefully starters for for a long term future. Right. That's why rookie contracts are so valuable. And when when you trade up, um, you know, for a player like DJ Johnson, you're you're giving up one of those rookie contracts. Um, for your team that's going to help um, your team building, right? Like the past two years, you've had a combined 11 picks um, in the past two drafts. And that's just not 
a winning formula, right? Um, you, you need an abundance of young, cheap talent if you want to sustain winning. And we saw that in 2021 where they kept trading down and trading down and it almost became like a joke, right? But they made these like high value trades and, and it was good process. It, a lot of the players haven't worked out, but it was good process at the time. So I'm just, uh, Scott Shitterer, I, I like to say, um, I, I don't think he has too much longer. I think he he might even be gone after the trade deadline, depending on what happens there. But there, there's been almost no single move of his other than the first overall pick trade that, you know, he can really hang his hat on and say that, you know, it was a net positive for the team. Yeah. I mean, you, you list it off, you went through the entire draft classes and the guys that I, I think you can list off as like anybody quality, it's JC Horn, Brady Christensen, maybe Chuba Hubbard, and then obviously Bryce Young. And then you go beyond that. And for me, it's I your your job as a front office is talent evaluation and, and make sure you get your guy without reaching for him. And throughout this entire draft process, it sounded like the team and the coaches were all the ones putting input on who they were taking, like Chandler Savala, buddies with Iki Aquanu, has looked like a bust. I mean, he's a rookie. Granted, he probably shouldn't have been thrown into the fire this early, especially when we had Corbett and Brady Christensen. But it's one of those things. He doesn't look great. DJ Johnson, that's the guy Evero wanted. They were so happy when they got him. And exactly like what we've talked about, massive reach. And then when come day two, after we get our quarterback, we call up Steve Smith and we go, okay, so what wide receiver are you taking? And at no point do I have an issue with, okay, let's talk to people. Let's get an idea of their opinions of, but it sounds like there's very much a lot of influence outside of the front office in making these picks and making these decisions. And I think that's just poor process. I, and, and like, go for it, Jacob. Oh yeah. Another thing is, uh, the free agent signings that Fitterer has made. I know you have a lot of issue with some of the free agent signings over the past couple off seasons, Steve. I mean, so the big one is, and it's, it's obvious. Um, we, we talked about it um, briefly earlier, but Dante Jackson, um, it was the year Deshaun Watson was available for trade and we were trying to finagle things. So we weren't going to keep Reddick and Gilmore. And I told Jacob, like I, I can, put messages up of us having conversations back and forth. We should have kept Reddick and Gilmore and let Dante walk. And we should have never gotten in the Watson sweepstakes. And if you think about that, if those two pieces are on our defense right now, it's a different ball game. We can lean on our defense and just play ball control on offense. We don't need any pizzazz. And unfortunately, because we don't have that talent in the cupboard anymore, now it's it, our defense is stretched with injuries. Our offense doesn't look good because we got a rookie quarterback behind a porous offensive line and wide receivers who can't get separation. And it's just all these problems start compounding on one another to now we're 0-6. And, and like Dylan said, we were a 6-7 win team last year. The expectation is, is when you plug a quarterback into this roster that you put yourself in a position where you're winning more games, not less. And it's just, it's we're going backwards for no reason. Yeah, you look, at, you look at a lot of the the free agency signings that they made, especially this offseason. Adam Thielen, like, sure, you're you're gonna need you're gonna need to surround your quarterback with with weapons. DJ Chark is the same reasoning. Um, Hay Hayden Hurst has has kind of like disappeared almost. Like he had a really good week one, 
Um, I feel like I've heard his name like four times since that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at like Shy Tuttle, three years, $20 million. I, <laughs> considering how bad this interior defensive line is, I don't, I don't really think that signing has been super justified. Miles Sanders is the extremely obvious one here. Mm-hmm. He's looked downright terrible, and I know that you can you can excuse a lot of that with with injury, um, but you know y- even so, like a lot of that comes with the territory of paying a running back is that the injury risk of those guys is greater than than others. So, you know, giving give, especially a four year contract where a lot of that money is guaranteed, that's just it was it was a bad contract at the time it was the highest pay that any free agent running back got this offseason um and it continues to look like an even worse deal as the weeks go by and as chuba hubbard in particular looks better and better um you you mentioned the dante jackson deal i've never been a huge fan of dante jackson his rookie year he was he was pretty exciting to watch right he showed um, flashes he, and that's what you're showed, supposed to do as a rookie yeah he showed flashes right and ever since that point it's been like ankle injury after shin injury after 50 yard touchdown after <laughs> another injury and it, it's it's almost like he has like you know how people on twitter will like design like a cycle for mm-hmm. each player like you, you remember like the ryan fitzpatrick cycle it's it's almost like dante jackson has his own where it's like instead of like a big elaborate one it's just it goes from injury to blown coverage back to injury again um and and it's it's getting to the point where you invest 30 million dollars over three years if not more money right i think it was higher than that um into a player that you would expect to be a starter and um even at the time it looked like a shaky contract meanwhile Hassan Reddick got 15 million dollars a year if I'm not mistaken which isn't too much more um the allocation of resources is is something that has not been right um you know in in any free agency that Scott Fitterer has been a part of and um it, it really, it really showed um, in that particular offseason, and it showed with some of the contracts he handed out this offseason, even if it was under the guise of making things easier for a rookie quarterback. And all those contracts he handed out, he didn't extend Brian Burns, homegrown talent who we decided not to trade on multiple occasions because he was part of the future. Absolutely. Uh, I think we can all give Scott Shitterer a resounding F here along with the rest of the front office. Um, they haven't like, we know we're supposed to have a superstar front office, uh, front office too, with Dan Morgan and uh, Samir Suleiman. I think I'm saying that correctly, but uh, nothing's really panned out during the tenure there. As far as the players go, um, I don't want to put all the onus on the players because obviously there's dysfunction everywhere throughout the organization, but I think there's been some clear regression from important players like Ike Aquanu and Dante Jackson and even Burns to a degree. He's had a, a, still a phenomenal year, but uh, it seems like he kind of tapers off for portions of games. Uh, I think the only really positive new addition, other than I think Bryce is still inconclusive, like we said, it has been Adam Thielen. Uh, he, he's played above the level, well, to the level of his contract above his ex- expectations. But uh, as far as the players go, I think as a whole, it's been inconclusive so far, but hopefully we can tune that up a bit. What I wanted to ask you guys about is like the outlook for the rest of the season, particularly uh, the next couple of weeks. Like 
we're going into a bye week this week. It's a good time to self scalp, like Frank Reich said. Time to good time to eval. Do you think we're going to be fire salesmen here at the deadline? I I'm I'm to the point where I I really love Brian Birds. Right, he's in my opinion been the best Panther the past like three or so years. Each each and every year, he's been the best player on the field for our team. Other than other than maybe like McCaffrey before he was traded. I think that I'm to the point where if there is an offer where, where you could get like two first round picks like there was in the past, I think that's an offer you would you'd probably have to take at this point, considering the lack of resources that you have in building a functional offense and that you, you never want to give away like a, a 25, 26 year old elite level pass rusher. But when, you know, you don't have the resources to build, you know, a, a team, you know, the lack of resources that the Panthers do, no first round pick this year. Um, nobody's going to let their wide receiver just walk into free agency. When, you know, your, your, your best chance at getting like a guy like that is going to be with a second round pick, uh, early second, it's, it's going to be so, so hard, right? So if you could, if you could get two first round picks for Brian Burns. I, th I think that's a deal that you would have to consider heavily. I'm still, it would, it would depend upon the, the team that's trading for him, whether I would do it. Like if it's, if it's like a team that, you know, like the Eagles where it's going to be like the 31st overall pick for the next two years, then, then maybe it's going to be harder to justify. But if it's a team like the Rams who, who, you know, are going to have a mid first, then, then that's something I would probably do. Right. And that's the same way for for Derek Brown. Maybe not two first rounders, but if the right deal came along, I would I would definitely consider doing so. Um, and for JC Horn as well, I think there it the, the thing for me is like if there's a player that a team is interested in trading for that isn't one of the two offensive tackles or Bryce Young, I'm listening to the offer at the very least. Yeah. No, you, you got to recoup something, especially when you're going to have to pivot towards the future. So it's one of those things, okay, can we send one of these guys that uh, we would have to pay and either get a couple picks or maybe we get a player or two? Because I know there's been talks that we go out and we get like this true number one wide receiver. I don't know exactly what the front office means by that, but it's one of those things that if you can pivot with some of the pieces you already have without having to give up more draft capital, I think that would be very beneficial. The most depressing thing about a Burns trade would be that we'd be trading first-round picks in back-to-back-to-back -back -back years with McCaffrey, uh, DJ Moore, and Brian Burns. But uh, I think for for the future, if you can get a good offer, to maybe to that maybe below that Rams level, I doubt we're going to get two ones and a two again. Now that teams know that we're not looking to pay Brian Burns, but uh, hopefully we can get something at the deadline and maybe not give up so many resources. I know we've been linked to like Jerry Judy and uh, I believe Marquise Brown was another name that was thrown out there. Oh, hopefully they wouldn't cost too much, but if Scott Fitterer is making the picks next year, go ahead and trade the picks because uh, he's not hitting on them. Um, and then another thing I wanted to ask you guys was uh, Thomas Brown is the new play caller. Do you guys think the offense will improve at all with, with if he looks to incorporate more McVay style motion and uh, not personnel diversity, but player diversity within the personnel? 
So I think it's going to start with, especially when you see McVeigh and kind of the prodigies from his tree. Uh, if you're looking at it like a Kevin O'Connell, Zach Taylor, and now like a Thomas Brown, is that within their offenses, they have like a true number one. Uh, in Cincinnati, you have Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and obviously T. Higgins is there as well. And Minnesota, it was Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. And it seems with the Rams, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, it seems with Carolina, it seems like it's Bryce Young and Adam Thielen right now. So you want to be able to spam that. You want to be able to scheme things up to where Thielen is running wide open. But what we also see this past year is that Tutu Atwell, um, Puka Nakua, they're getting open all over in different roles, different routes around the field. And that Seahawks, that big touchdown we had the DJ Chark, was something that Thomas Brown schemed up when he saw what the Seattle defense was doing on the back end. So what I'm hoping is that he's able to bring is some of these different route combinations and he's able to expose weaknesses and give Bryce a few layups within uh, that offensive structure because that seems to not be the case in Frank Reich's play calling. There, there aren't a lot of easy buttons and everything seems really earned and almost forced. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll leave the, the play calling to, to Steven here. I just I want to see improvement <laughs> um, when, when you have a lack of weapons that the Panthers do. Um, and an offensive line that looks like it is clearly at rest and has um, the the offensive guards of like a college team. It's it's you know there's only so much that you can do. I just I'm hoping that that we can make things simple and easy and and scheme guys open. I would love to see more involvement from Jonathan Mingo, but from what I have seen. Um, he hasn't, hasn't looked too amazing so far. I know he's a little bit more on the raw side, but, um, the, the fact that they do trust him to get as many steps as he is getting already is something that I think is good. Um, it's just the fact that he's, he's still one to, um, he's going to need to put it together more. Absolutely. Uh, going into one of our last segments is like our future Panthers segment going over the college players from this past week. I know, uh, Dylan, you messaged me. You wanted to talk a lot about this. I'll let you take the floor here. Yeah, um, maybe not necessarily future Panthers, but I did, you know, I'm, I think everybody's always obsessed with uh, the quarterbacks of, of any given draft class. And this year there's like two really elite guys um, Drake May and and Caleb Williams and I guess so far like my my hot take that um, I, I think my my biggest hot take I guess compared to uh, traditional um, NFL media is that I have Drake May slightly higher than than Caleb Williams and I think they're both going to be just amazing prospects and I was listening to um, the athletic show with Nate Tice um, earlier this week and and he kind of mentioned that he had those two guys almost almost even now um but but drake may is just like you know somebody who's who's six foot five making every throw um on the money and tez walker by the way looked amazing for unc um and i think his first or second game i can't remember which which game it was a uh, second game second game yeah he he looked just phenomenal like like almost like a day two day one pick i'm not sure if he'll be able to to sustain it but he he looked amazing but I think I think my main gripe with with Caleb Williams is, you know, a lot of these like high level throws that he's making are are almost a, a product of his own creation in the sense that, you know, he's waiting in the pocket for like four, five, six seconds, mm-hmm. um, and he's able to beat defenders just with his pure athleticism, right? 
and it's amazing to see at the college level, right? But it almost reminds me of when like Justin Fields, for instance, was was at Ohio State, right? And he was he was waiting to get the ball out because he had amazing receivers that and and an amazing offensive line. So he could wait and he could use his athleticism to extend the play. And when he gets to the NFL, it's it's a lot harder to to I guess speed up the game for him, right? And I get the same vibes with with Caleb Williams. And that's not to say that he can't do it. It's just a matter of he's he's not doing it right now, right? Meanwhile, Drake May is like, you know, he's anticipating throws more. He's I think he's shown a little bit more like downfield anticipation um, and just like pure pure pocket awareness, right? I think that you know if if I had to choose today, I think Drake May is the one that that I would pick first overall. I couldn't agree with you more there. I think Drake May, in terms of in terms of a prospect, reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert. I think he has that build, that arm to throw downfield, and makes a lot of the downfield touch throws that Herbert's able to make. Meanwhile, Caleb Williams, well, he's also excellent, Heisman winner, great athlete, great quarterback, as we've seen. A lot of the plays like we're talking about, these super plays where he's evading rushers and stuff are of his own design. A lot of the uh, the highlights that are shown where he's six or seven seconds in the pocket escaping pressure and hitting the open guy on the scramble. If you look at those highlights and take them from the snap, he'll have people open for first downs. That can He can just move the chains, but a lot of times he'll just move behind the pocket looking for that scramble throw. Reminds me a bit of uh, early Russell Wilson, who would run behind the pocket a lot looking to uh, to work those scramble drills with Doug Baldwin and uh, other receivers like that. Super successful, but a lot of the times it's just not super necessary. Uh, I also have Drake May currently ahead of Caleb Williams. For me, it's a bit more... Uh, not, they're, they're not in separate tiers, but I have a more of a distinct uh, difference between the two. Like I would, ha- I would definitely say, I'd, like I'd be willing to say that I would definitely have Drake May ahead of him at this point. I think a lot of it, like when the draft comes around, is going to depend on what team gets that first mm-hmm. overall pick, right? Like uh, I'm trying to think of like an example, but I, I would assume that like if it's a coach that would want, you know, a little bit more structure, right? Like, like maybe it's um, maybe it's like a double and he, he prefers like Caleb Williams because he's had Josh, Josh Allen in the past. Right. Or, or maybe it's like a Minnesota Vikings team, which I, I would doubt at this point since they have two wins. But if it's if it's like the Vikings, then maybe they prefer like a Drake May type. So I think a lot of it's going to depend on what team ends up with the first overall pick in terms of who ends up being that guy. Uh, but it might end up being like a, a pick your flavor type of pick. Absolutely. They'll both still go one and two, regardless of uh, who has what picks. They're both going to end up being the first two. And then a guy who really, I think, cemented his spot in QB3 for the rest of the year this past week was Michael Penix Jr. in the uh, the Oregon-Washington rivalry game. It was like an offensive shootout for most of the game. And to drive down with less than two minutes left, uh, not clocking the ball, not trying to run to uh, like run the clock down, but hitting Roma Dunze on that uh, down the left sideline, that jump ball touchdown. It was just really good. Uh, it showed what he needed to show. I know early in his career, at Indiana dealt with injury, uh, wasn't the best there, but he's another example of uh, like Joe Burrow, a successful transfer story where an older QB is able to play with a maybe a better 
uh, talent around him, but really, really perform. And I think he's what he's doing is really pushing him to be the next QB off the board that's taken in the first round. I think um, I'm impressed by by Michael Penix, right? I really like his receivers a lot, mm-hmm. all three yeah. of them, particularly Adunze. I, I think he's going to end up being a top ten pick. Like he's he has size, he has speed, he's got route running. I I think he's going to be an amazing NFL receiver, and he he's shown it all really so far in this draft. And you know, for a lot of this year, I've I've kind of considered the two Ohio State guys the the wide receiver one and wide receiver two, but Adunze is kind of getting too too good to ignore almost right and and he has kind of played himself into like that top 10 pick status absolutely right here i wrote he was the star of the wide receiver off this past week with him and mcmillan and polk and troy franklin for oregon but uh i was actually talking with steve before we recorded about how highly i have Odunze regarded he's definitely playing himself into first round territory between him and keon coleman and Amika Egbuka has kind of fallen off. He's also dealt with a lot of injury this year. But the race for wide receiver two this year is going to be just incredible. We have a ton of receivers that could be first-round receivers in a lot of other classes but are, that are going to be pushed down. Like Troy Franklin could be a fringe first-rounder. Uh, Tez Walker, like you're saying, if he sustains his play. Johnny Wilson uh, for FSU. Like if he learned how to catch, he'd be a top 10 pick because he's like six, seven, two thirty, and probably he's running a four, four, just a, a ton of incredible receivers. <laughs> we even talked about this with uh Tage last week on the pod. We were all fawning over how many good receivers there are in this class, but it's a good thing for the Panthers to need a receiver because there's going to be one there at 33 or wherever we pick. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the importance of if you could get like a first round pick for a guy like Bryce or for a guy like um, Burns, right? And you could end up with a guy like Neighbors or Coleman or Dunze. Um, maybe a guy like Johnny Wilson ends up kind of climbing his way into that or first round. Or the two category, Texas guys, right? too, are going to be yeah. there as well. Yeah. Xavier Worthy can take the top off of a defense, right? So. Mm-hmm. There's there's so many different guys and and even if even if you you get a pick and it's like you know in that range where where Brock Bowers is there like he would be hard to pass on too even though he may not have that that wide receiver um, outside impact that you would want um, he would be an awesome pass catcher to add as well so there's there's just so many different guys in this year's class where you know there, there's amazing quarterbacks there's amazing receivers there's a very good tight end. Um, and even on the offensive line side of things, like Joe Alt is one of my favorite um, offensive linemen that I've I've kind of watched so far, and 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 Fashanu from Penn State as well has been been very good. Yeah, this is definitely the year to need to draft offensive players. I think as it stands, I've I have about three hundred twenty something guys that are on my list right now. Over one eighty of them are on the offensive side, so definitely an offensive draft here. Which, like you guys alluded to, we're going to need a lot of. We're probably going to need a wide receiver in the second. If we're somehow able to flip a player for a first or a couple later picks, we'll probably throw another dart on the offensive side there. Uh, Definitely try to shore up the offensive line. That's definitely a problem. But as we're wrapping up this episode, it's a, it's a little bit lengthier one. This isn't our longest episode, but it's approaching that. Uh, We'll wrap up with our perfect takes and this is kind of like the the one take we have going into the week, see what comes of it. Um, I said that the Browns would kind of hold 
um, the San Francisco 49ers under 25 points last week. Jacob, what was your take last week? Uh, I don't even remember, you know, it was, uh, it was something. No, I said, uh, I said the bears would beat the Vikings without Jefferson. And obviously that one turned out to be incorrect. The field's injury was unfortunate, but since you are a guest, Dylan, what is your take and what do you expect, uh, this coming Sunday? The, the chargers keep finding ways to lose by a field goal, right? Like they lost by two points to the Dolphins. They lost by a field goal to the charger or to the, uh, to the Titans. They lost by a field goal to the Cowboys. And, um, I, I think this year or this week, they're going to turn it around. I think they will beat the Kansas city chiefs who have been kind of lackluster their, their past few weeks. And I think Herbert is going to end up throwing four touchdowns or so. Um, two of those to Keenan Allen, hopefully for my fantasy team. And I think the Chargers get back to 500. I like that one. Uh, I do think the Chiefs defense is a bit, uh, it's a a force to be reckoned with, so I'm not sure about the four touchdowns there from Herbert, but maybe they can get a win there. My take is that coming off the bye week, Jordan Love, who has had a pretty rough start to the season, I think he's going to get right against one of the worst defenses in the league this week, and I think the Packers are going to beat the Broncos. Me and Jacob had a uh, interesting discourse on that take. Uh, I have Jordan Love on my fantasy team, and I I feel like this is going to be the week he actually like, you know, drops the eight ball, or drops the ball again, and, and Jordan Love looks uh, kind of like the rookieish quarterback, uh, first year starter. Uh, that he has been up to this point. But I am hoping in the case, like you're saying, Jacob, he comes out, he balls, uh, and he corrects the ship. My take is, is that it's another team. It's not just a player. It's a team that kind of corrects ship after a poor showing on Sunday night football, kind of taking it down to the wire against the New York Giants. I feel like the Bills get right in Foxborough, dropping a 40-piece while keeping the Patriots' offense out of the end zone. So they'll just allow field goals, Um, maybe the Pats defense will luck into a defensive turnover late against like a backup quarterback, like the Panthers did versus the dolphins. But, um, that's all our takes. Uh, do we have anything else we want to add before we sign off as, as an honest Mac Jones hater, I would love nothing more than your take to be true. Well, there we go. I think we have ties with fantasy implications on all these perfect takes. So I think a perfect week would be if all of them came true. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to uh, talk ball with us. I know it's been an unfortunate season so far, but uh, I think we learned a lot uh, and enjoyed what you had to bring today. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad I did not spend the money on season tickets this year. So (laughs) there we go. There's always next year. So with that, we'll uh, catch you guys next week.